Um, real quick, I'm going to welcome our uh, our preacher this morning. This is uh, I haven't even announced him yet. You can't. I haven't even announced him yet. Wait, we practiced this. After I say his name, then you go woo. I only paid her like ten bucks to do that. Don't. Um, just kidding. Now this is exciting. So so my buddy Zav. There you go. Um, that was the right time. That was the right time. My buddy Zav and I, we, we used to work together at a church, um, this one church that's big uh, somewhere out in the Roosh area. I won't say which one. Um, we used to work at this big church together, and we used to lead retreats together, and it was super fun. We were like 20 years old and had no business probably doing ministry. It was really cool. Um, and fast forward the clock, 13 years, him and I both have planted churches. So Zav planted a church called The Story in Ashland, um, Oregon. Have you guys heard of Ashland before? Ashland? So it's like that, that one city we don't talk about really in Grants Pass. Um, Zav planted The Story with the team, what, five years ago? Yeah, five years ago. Um, and then a couple years later, we planted Philby. So Zav and I have come, kind of become church planting buddies. We just talk about church planting. It's such an honor to get him out here to preach and bring the word to you guys, just to introduce him to you. He's such a blessing. Um, he has a beautiful family that you guys can meet. They'll be around. Um, and so, Zav, why don't you come up, hand the mic off to you. Let's give it up for Zav Brosser. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Kaylee. I've known Kaylee since she was a baby, so of course she's yelling for me, but it's great to have, great to have someone excited for me to be here, so thank you. I uh, know, uh, I'm blessed to be here, and uh, I snuck in a few years back um, and got to see what God was doing when you guys had the stage over here before the wall was knocked out, and it's just cool to be back and see what God's continuing to do. Um, like Sam said, I've known him for probably 10 years now. We were killing it back in the day, making like 300 bucks a month, sharing a room, and just, you know, so many, so many good times, and so I'm blessed to be here and share with you guys. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. Um, that's kind of going to be a starting point for us. I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll kind of launch off into this. Jesus, thank you so much for today, and thank you for the work you're doing here in Grants Pass at Philippi. Thank you for Sam and Randy and for the entire leadership here and for all the people who serve and volunteer to make uh, to make these gatherings possible, possible for people to come and gather and to worship and to pray and to study the scriptures. I pray, God, for this city that you continue to use this church and this body and these people here uh, to just really minister to and uh, to love on the lost and the broken and the hurting. They're all around us every single day. And um, we're, we're those people as well, God. We're those people who you've brought into the feast, who you went out into the streets and said, come and bring the lame and the blind and the deaf. That's all of us. And thank you for bringing us here today, God. And uh, we just pray that you today would speak through your word by the power of the spirit. Give us just wisdom and discernment into the things that you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, as I was chatting with Sam a while back about kind of coming out and speaking, um, I kind of threw a bunch of stuff out at him as to um, what might be some interesting things to, to share. Um, and the subject today that, that me and Sam kind of went back and forth on was um, uh, a subject which right now in our culture is something that a lot of people are doing who both aren't Christians and people who are Christians, and that's questioning God. I'm sure you guys have heard this phrase like deconstruction even, that people who've grown up in the church are kind of deconstructing their faith. They have doubts. They have questions, all these sorts of things. And, and the question today that I really want to address and unpack with you guys is, is it okay to actually do that? 
Like, is it okay to question God? And if we have questions about God, about the scriptures, about sexuality, about gender, about all these big things happening in our culture, what do we do with those? Like, is the church a space where we can actually question those things? Uh, or, or do we have to kind of suppress those and pretend like I have all the answers and I have this perfect faith? Is it okay to challenge your faith and to question your faith? And so ultimately, that's one of the questions I want to address today. And I can remember I grew up in the church um, as long as I can remember. Some of my first memories were in the church. Grew up in a Christian household, um, and my whole life, all I knew was Jesus, you know, is God, and uh, the Bible is real and authoritative, and it was the supreme uh, power in my life. I never in my childhood had a moment where, like, I even questioned that. It was just, this is real. Um, for me, the first time in my life where I began to like question all of this was actually in Bible college. I was in Bible college right after high school. Um, it was in Hawaii. It was just uh, just horrible spot, just right on the beach, just so beautiful, just horrible, suffering for the Lord there. And um, it was the first time I, I'm, my faith kind of fell apart. The, the long story short is um, I was leading a hike with kind of three newer students in the jungles of Maui. Um, it's this crazy wild hike. You have to climb up this crazy waterfall. You you jump off a 70-foot waterfall. You scale down a 120-foot waterfall. It's all on private property. It's like the craziest spot ever. But the long story short is um, one of my buddies, we were, we were scaling down this 120-foot waterfall, and I watched one of my buddies slip and fall to his death from about 70 feet. I was three feet away from him, watched him slip and fall, and um, it, was, it was the worst experience of my life at that point in time. And uh, we had to hike out. We, we left his body down there. There was no way we could get down to him. Went into cell service, called a helicopter, then they came and flew and took him out. And it was, it was wild. I, I didn't really know what to even do or how to process that. And especially because before we did that hike, because we know how crazy it is, um, we would always pray. So I, I remember before that hike, even just God, you know, cover us and protect us um, and just keep us safe. And then he didn't. And so after that, it was the first time in my life I was like, well, what's the point of all this, you know? What, what's the point in me praying and talking to God and asking for safety and um, th then like this happening? How could God allow this to happen? And so that was the first moment in my 20 years of following Jesus at that point in time that I kind of started to question and started to wrestle with my faith. And so this is something that again, in our culture today with how quickly things are moving and how quick things are changing, um, there are people who have been in church forever who are for the first time ever questioning their faith. They're, they're challenging God. They're they're asking questions. Does the Bible really say this? Does God really say this? The culture is saying this one thing and I was taught this other and I'm kind of wrestling with this. And so again, um, this is a reality that this is gonna happen in your life at some point in time. The reality is probably a lot of you in here in this room today have certain aspects of your faith that you were taught if you grew up in the church or if you're new to church, there's things right now that you're questioning and you're like, why do Christians believe this? Does the Bible really say this? There's gonna be things in your life that come up that are gonna make you question your faith. And the question that today we're going to look at is again, how do we do that well? And, and, and is it okay to do that? And I wanted to start in Mark chapter 10 because Jesus says something really cool here. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, he says this, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is a, a bold statement that Jesus makes here. He, he, he says that if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you can't enter it. Now, here's the thing. How many of you guys in here have kids? Raise your hands if you have kids. 
Okay, cool. Quite a bit of you. The rest of y'all, you will eventually, I'm sure. So uh, the reality is this. Jesus says, you cannot inherit the kingdom unless you have the faith of a child. Let the children come to me. One thing that we know to be true of all kids is what? Their curiosity. They ask so many questions. Kids don't have a perfect faith. They have a imperfect faith, but it's a childlike faith. And Jesus said, this is the faith that I want you to have. Not a perfect faith where you know everything or think you know everything, but a faith where you have questions and you're curious. One of my good friends, he told me this week, it was so funny. He's got a three-year-old. We've got a three-year-old also. And he's like, he's like, my three-year-old finally asked me this week. He's like, hey, daddy, where did I come from? And he's like, well, um, from me and your mommy. And then he goes, wait, you didn't get me at Walmart? And like, I was like, dude, this is hilarious. He thought his parents bought him at Walmart. But again, this is, this is a childlike faith. These are kids who have questions. It's cool at three years old. My buddy's friend, he's like, where, where, where did I come from, you know? So again, Jesus says that if we don't have the, the faith of a child and the childlike faith, then we won't enter the kingdom of God. And so the reality is questioning and, and, and challenging and wrestling with your faith, it's not some sort of sign of spiritual immaturity. This is what I was taught growing up, that if you question anything that, you, you must not have true faith in. But what I see in the scripture is that questioning your faith and wrestling with things, it's not, a, it's not a sign of spiritual immaturity. I believe it is a part of the process of growing and maturing as a child of God. I believe it's a part of all of our faith journey that we have questions and wrestle through things. And the, the, the question today that we're gonna look at is, is how do we do that in a way that honors God? And how do we do that in a way that actually produces spiritual fruit and deeper intimacy with the person of Jesus rather than having us walk farther away from the faith. And so I wanted today to, to go back to the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, flip back to Genesis chapter three, because I want to start by looking at the first question in all of the scriptures. If we're going to talk about questioning God and wrestling with your faith and all of this type of stuff, we have to start at the beginning where the first question was ever asked. And it's actually in Genesis chapter three. If you're familiar with the scriptures, uh, this may be a passage that I'm sure you've heard uh, a lot of times, but I want you to look at it through a, a, a maybe a little different lens today. The first question ever asked is asked by a serpent in the Garden of Eden, and, and he asks it to Adam and Eve. And I want you to see this, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Look what the story says here. It says, now, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, here it is, first question in the history of the world, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the story here, as, as I'm sure you're familiar with if you grew up in the church, 
God told Adam and Eve, the only tree I don't want you to eat of is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God blessed them. He gave them every other tree. He gave them 99.9% of all creation, which was good. And of course, they're hanging out by the one tree that they shouldn't be at, which is what we all do, right? And then the serpent shows up and he starts by asking a question. And in verse two, the question that the serpent asks is so profound. The serpent asks to Eve as she's standing there with her husband, did God actually say, you shall not eat of this tree that's here in the garden? This question, did God really say, is not just the question that the serpent asked to Adam and Eve as they were standing by the tree. This same question is a question that all of us will ask and wrestle with at some point in our faith journey. Did God actually say this? Does the Bible actually teach this? Why do I actually believe this? But it's rooted in, did God actually say? I wanna acknowledge that the reality of being a human being is that as we grow in our childlike faith that we are gonna wrestle with this question. Why do we believe this as Christians? Did God really say it or is it tradition? Or is it just what my parents handed down to me? Or did God actually say this? Now, let me point something out here. That this question that the serpent is asking Adam and Eve, did God really say, there is nothing intrinsically or morally wrong with the question itself. A lot of people go, ooh, he shouldn't have done that. The serpent shouldn't have asked the question. But the question, there is nothing wrong morally, intrinsically with a question. There's nothing wrong with asking, did God actually say? Adam and Eve weren't banished from the garden because they entertained the question or because they wrestled with the question. The question is, when we wrestle with this, did God actually say, where do we turn for the answer? This is where they went wrong. Not that they entertained the question. Not that they said, whoa, did God really say this? It's where they looked to answer the question. So notice the flow here. The serpent, Satan, he asked the question, did God really say? And Adam and Eve, they, they ponder the question. But then the problem is Adam and Eve chose to listen to what the serpent said rather than what God actually said. The question is, did God really say but they didn't go back to what God had already said. They listened to what the serpent said to answer the question. You see this in Genesis 2. Look at what God already said. Check this out. Genesis 2. Look back at what God did say. Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. Notice, it says this. Then the Lord God commanded the man saying... You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. This is what God plainly said. He said, you can eat every tree you want, except this one. And then it's crazy because God is sovereign and in control. He doesn't say, and if you eat it, you're gonna die. He says, in the day you eat it, you're gonna die. God knew what was gonna happen, but that's what God said. God said, in the day you eat it, you will die. Now notice that as Adam and Eve are wrestling with this question, did God really say? Notice what the serpent says, again, back in Genesis chapter three, verses three and four. Look what the serpent says. He says, you shall, uh, he says, but God said, Eve is answering, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die, verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So the question is, did God really say? God had already said, yes, in the day you eat of it, you will die. 
The serpent asks the question, did God really say? And then he gives the answer and he says, God didn't really say you're going to die. You're not actually going to die. So I'm getting you to wrestle with this question, did God say it? And I'm telling you, here's what he said. So again, notice the problem is not the question itself. The problem is where they turned for the answer. They listened to what Satan said, God said, rather than what God himself already said. Does that make sense? This is so important for us to get. So did God really say is not a bad question to ask, but to know what God really said, we have to look to God himself. If you want to know what God said, go to the source. Go to him. Don't listen, to, don't go to what somebody else tells you God says. You have direct access to God because of the Holy Spirit who abides in you. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. And yes, church is great. Community is great. Listening to Bible studies is great. Listening to podcasts and other pastors and sermons, it's all great. But the reality is if you do not have a personal relationship with the person of Jesus, even people who are good-hearted and well-intended are not perfect. Sam's not perfect. I'm not perfect. No one has a perfect theology. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus to know what did God really say. And so the place that humanity went wrong wasn't asking the question, but it was where they turned for the answer. They listened to the serpent to tell them what God said rather than going to God who they had a perfect relationship with. They walked with him in the cool of the day, but they didn't go to him. They listened to the serpent. And from this moment forward, humanity has wrestled with this same question from generation to generation. Just like Adam and Eve, we keep asking the question, did God really say? Our culture today is asking that same question, did God really say? And we keep finding ourselves with the wrong answers because we keep looking in the wrong places. People today, most commonly, millennials and Gen Z who grew up in the church, who are walking away, who are questioning their faith, a lot of it is because they don't feel they can actually ask the questions in the church. They feel like they have to have this perfect faith and pretend like they know all the answers. And there are some Christian church traditions that don't allow space for people to actually wrestle and ask the questions. They see it as a sign of spiritual immaturity. They see it as a sign of spiritual weakness. Rather than saying, whoa, these people have real legit questions. These are good questions. Questions about culture, questions about sexuality, questions about gender, questions about abortion, questions about the authority and inerrancy of scripture, questions about suffering, questions about evil. All these things, people today want answers. And the church has to be a space where we realize this is okay. It's okay to ask, did God really say? It's okay to wrestle with that. It's okay to challenge these things, but where are we turning? And sadly, in our culture today, we're so quick to turn to the culture for answers. Did God really say? We're so quick to turn to, well, what do my friends and family say? What do my peers say? Well, what do my professors say? Well, what do the influencers on social media say? Well, what do the politicians say? Well, what do the self-help books say? Well, what does the news say? These are where people are turning for answers to the question, did God really say? We're not looking to God we're going and looking to culture and to other people. It's the same repetitive thing as Adam and Eve. The serpent says, did God really say? They're like, well, let's listen to what you think about that rather than us going directly to God. And so this is something that we, we have to understand in our culture today. We have to understand that when those questions come up, where are we turning for the answer? 
If you're here and you're wrestling with your faith, if you're here and you're questioning what it means to follow Jesus, you're questioning aspects of your faith. Maybe you went through a rough season. Maybe it was an experience you had in church where you were hurt by another Christian. Maybe it was something in the Bible that you're like, I just can't swallow that. I just don't get how the Bible can actually say this. This should be a space where people can wrestle with those things. But again, if we don't have space in the church for people to be able to ask the questions in the church, that's when they're gonna turn to the world. That's when they're gonna look to the culture. And so if you're here today and there's aspects of your faith where you're asking, well, did God really say? My question for you would be this, where are you looking to find the answers? Did God really say is a beautiful question when we turn to God for the answers. And if you're here today and you're, and you're wrestling and you're doubting and you're questioning certain aspects of your faith, I wanna encourage you, man, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we have access to the Father again. We can go to the Father and say, I got questions. I got doubts. I got things I'm wrestling with. I got things I'm processing. My experience isn't lining up with what I was taught and therefore I'm wrestling with it. But we don't have to run from God with our questions. We can actually run to God with our questions because only God can truly answer the question, did God really say? I could do the best I can to give you an answer. Your pastors and spiritual mentors and friends and family, they can do the best they can, but only God himself is gonna perfectly be able to give us the answer, did God really say? It's when we look to him. Not when we look to other people, not when we look to culture, not when we look to religion, not when we look to influence, when we, when we look to God himself. When we turn to God with our questions, as difficult as they may be, we may not find the answer that we're looking for, but God will meet you in that space. It may not be what you always want to hear, but God will give you direct revelation of who he is and you'll find deeper intimacy with God. As, as you wrestle with your faith and you go to God with it, man, you will find deeper levels of intimacy than if you just have this kind of perfect, shallow looking faith and no, everything's good. I know everything. I'm not having any questions, no struggles, have a perfect life. That, that doesn't actually lead to intimacy. Intimacy is when we're like, God, I'm struggling with this. God, I'm having a hard time with this and I'm coming to you because I wanna know what do you actually say about this? trusting God as supreme authority rather than ourselves. So what we see here, again, back in Genesis, temptation and sin entered into the world by one question. But again, it wasn't the question itself. It's where they turned for the answers. They turned to the serpent. They turned to Satan. They let him say, this is what God says. And from that moment, Adam and Eve turned away from God. They turned to the serpent. They listened to him. And as a result, as you guys know, the story of Genesis, it produced separation. They said, what did God really say? Well, I don't want to listen to God. What does the serpent say God says? And because of that, sin entered into the world. You know the story they ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to, and it resulted in separation from God. But here's the good news. That's not the end of the story. The story doesn't stop with, well, they asked the question. They, they didn't turn to God for the answer. They turned to the serpent. The, luckily, the story doesn't end there because what's amazing is just as the beginning of sin entering into the world started by a question when they turned to the wrong space, the amazing thing is the beginning of man's redemption also begins with a question. It's really, really profound and really beautiful. When God shows up in the Garden of Eden after, asked, uh, after Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree, God does something beautiful. 
God himself asks them a question in Genesis chapter three. Look down with me, if you would, at verses eight and nine. This is amazing. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now check this out. This is the first thing God says to them after sin enters into the world. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve, did God really say well, let's not listen to God. Let's take what the serpent has to say. Resulted in sin, separation. They no longer had this perfect relationship with God when they heard God coming in the garden, which had happened regularly before then. For the first time ever, they hid, hiding from God. They feel this sense of shame, something human beings were not created to carry. Ashamed of what they'd done. Ashamed of the disobedience, ashamed of the fact that they knew that they listened to the serpent rather than to God. And they're ashamed and they're hiding. And God shows up in the garden. And what God does is he asks them a question. Three simple words. Where are you? Where are you? Some people may see this question as some sort of interrogation, where, where are you? You're hiding. But what, what I truly see it as and what I think it really is, is the beautiful reality of a, a God wanting relationship yet again, even though man had fallen into sin. God is saying, where are you? Not that he didn't know where they were, but God was seeking a relationship. God wanted to give them an opportunity to come in all of their brokenness, to come with their sin, to, to, to come with their shame and to bring it to God. God here in asking the question is actually pursuing Adam and Eve who had turned their backs on him. This is a question revealing God's heart. I still want relationship. I still wanna know you. You haven't went so far that, that I'm just gonna completely bail out of the picture here. Where are you? I love what one commentator, Bruce Wilkie, said about this, this question, where are you? He says, the proof of love is in the unwillingness to abandon the object of love even when love fails to achieve its desired end. Isn't that good? Again, in the context of this question, where are you? God is revealing his love for them. I wanna read that quote again. The proof of love is in the unwillingness to abandon the object of love, even when love fails to achieve its desired end. This is God proving his perfect love for humanity and that when man's love for God failed, God's love for man didn't. He still pursued them through asking the question. I love what one more scholar said of this question. He said, this was God their creator now as God their redeemer seeking the lost. Wow, this is a deeper level of intimacy. The, the Adam and Eve as creatures knew God as creator, but in this question, now he's pursuing them as redeemer. We can know him as creator. All of creation declares the glory of God, but God comes and says, where are you? Because he said, I'm your redeemer. I'm still coming after you. It doesn't matter how far you've run from me. And so what we see here is that again, God used a question to show Adam and Eve that he still wanted a relationship with them and that he himself, Jesus, would be the answer to their fallen condition. Isn't that beautiful? This is the God that we serve. God in his goodness and God in his mercy 
pursues Adam and Eve by asking them the question, where are you? And when we are questioning God and when we have turned to the world and to culture and to influencers and to people rather than God, the amazing thing is I believe that God comes and asks us that exact same question. We're wrestling with our faith. You're struggling with aspects. You're saying, did God really say? And like Adam and Eve, we turn from God rather than to God with the questions. And when we get off track, God comes and he says, hey, where are you? Where are you? I've been right here the whole time. You've been looking everywhere but to me for the answers to the questions and you're deconstructing your faith and you feel like it's falling apart, but where are you? He still wants nearness to you. He still wants a relationship with you. He still wants you to know. His love is perfect and unconditional and it is not dependent on our performance. It's dependent on what he performed perfectly on the cross when he said, it's finished. It's a finished work. I believe today there's people here who you've been wrestling with aspects of your faith. You've been asking the same question, did God really say? And you've been listening to the world and to culture and you've actually been running away from God. And today, I think he would say to some of you, where are you? He wants you to know. It doesn't matter how far you've run. He wants you to know. It doesn't matter how much it looks like your faith is falling apart. He wants you to know all those questions and all those things you're wrestling with, those actually haven't pushed you farther away from him. It may feel like that, but he's right there. Where are you? He wants that intimacy. He wants to know you perfectly. And he wants you to know that questions can actually be an invitation to give our brokenness to God. The things that you're wrestling with, the questions that you have, this, this is an invitation for you to come to God with your questions and to receive the perfect love of the Father. Not a perfect faith, but, but a broken faith and a childlike faith whereby we say, God, I don't know all the answers. I have a lot of things I'm wrestling with, but I wanna just give it to you. I wanna present my questions to you. I wanna give my doubts to you as a living sacrifice and I wanna offer them freely to you today. I believe that today God is wanting some of the, the people here today to do that, to just, to just come to God with their doubts, to come to God with your questions and offer them to him as a sacrifice. And you'll see, you will see truly that it will lead to deeper intimacy with the person of Jesus. And this is, again, this is something you see all throughout the scriptures. This is not just an isolated one-time moment of, oh, here's Adam and Eve questioning God. All throughout the scriptures, all the heroes of faith that we look to, they all had their moments where they questioned God. They all had moments where they struggled to believe what God said, where they, where they trusted themselves or trusted somebody else rather than God. This is a reality. And th this is something we see most commonly actually in the Psalms, which is interesting the book of Psalms is a book of worship and praise. It's songs the nation of Israel would sing during different feasts and at different times of the year. And the Psalms, which are songs of worship and praise offered to God, they are filled with questions, which is really interesting. In the Psalms, these songs of worship, there are people worshiping God through questioning God. Isn't that crazy? I wanna give you a few examples. Psalm chapter 10, verse one. Just read through the Psalms though. You'll start to see it all over the place. Psalm 10, verse one. Imagine singing this as a worship song on Sunday. This is what this was. Psalm 10, one. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? 
Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? Most people who grew up in the church would say, well, you, you shouldn't talk to God like that. We shouldn't ask that question to God. God, why are you so far away? This is a worship song. Can you imagine we come in on Sunday morning? Why, oh Lord, are you so far away? Like, th this is not the type of worship that we offer God. But this is worship. Because again, they're addressing it to God. Isn't that beautiful? Psalm chapter 42, verse nine. Again, th this is all over the place. I could go through a million. Psalm 42, verse nine. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Wait, that seems like a contradiction. I say to God, my rock, you're my rock. And then the next thing, you've forgotten me. Wait, what? How are you saying he's your rock and he's forgotten you? That's the human experience. It's yes, God, I trust you. You are my rock. And yet at the same time, I feel like you've forgotten me. Where are you? Why have you forgotten me? And then he says, why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? God, why are you allowing the suffering and the oppression of my enemies over me? The psalmist is questioning God. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why have you forgotten me? And if you read through the Psalms, he sees God never comes and goes, how dare you? Don't question me, I'm God. God meets people in their questioning when they come to him with the questions. This is the pattern you see over and over. One more, Psalm 44, verse 24. The psalmist says, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Have you ever felt that? My guess is every one of us has it some season of our life. God, have you hidden your face from me? Have you forgotten me? I'm afflicted and I'm crying out to you and I feel like you're not there. Where are you? This is something that we all feel at different seasons of life. And this is completely normal. This is the human experience. This is what the psalmists are saying in worship to God. They're saying, God, have you forgotten me? God, how long will I be oppressed? God, where are you? God, why do you allow my foes to triumph over me? These are all questions that they are bringing to God. But again, what's so amazing is that the question can actually become an act of worship when it is directed to God. If I question God apart from God, that's not healthy. But when I question God with God, when I bring my questions about God to God, it actually becomes an act of worship. Worship isn't coming in on Sunday morning and pretending like you have it all together and singing all these joyful songs with your hands up. That is an aspect of it. Worship is you go home and you're like, there's a lot of stuff I'm wrestling with. There's a lot of stuff I'm questioning. I'm kind of upset at God. I'm angry at God. I feel like God's not there. And worship is saying, God, where are you? That is worship. Because when we have our questions about God and we bring them to God, the reason it's worship is this. Because it's showing God that we are trusting him as our ultimate source of authority. When I say, God, what do you really say? When I say, God, where are you? When I'm questioning God to God, that's worship because he, we're saying, God, I'm trusting you are the ultimate authority here. I'm actually gonna listen to what you say. Whereas when we question God apart from God, when we turn to the world and when we turn to anything else, we're giving ultimate authority to that which is not ultimate. When I say, where is God? And I run from God and I ask other people or, 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 or I look at what the culture or the world says about God, I'm ultimately giving authority to those people to say, this is what's true. Just like Adam and Eve did with the serpent. So again, this is why it's so beautiful 
When you have aspects of your faith and things that you're wrestling with and questions that you have, when you bring them to God, it actually is an act of worship. This is what you see over and over and over in the Psalms. And so my encouragement for some of you guys here today, and for some of you just hold on to this because there's gonna be a season of your life where it comes, where, where something comes up and you're like, man, I am struggling and wrestling with this. I don't understand why God did this, why he allowed this to happen, where he is, why he's not answering the prayers, whatever it is, hold on to this. Bring your questions to God and allow it to be an act of worship. Worship isn't, I have a perfect faith and I know every, it's God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? God, why aren't the bills getting paid? God, why haven't I got the job? God, why did you allow the friend or the family member to have to pass away? God, why fill in the blank, whatever it is. There's gonna be those times where we ask those questions, but I wanna encourage you, ask them to God. God is not afraid of your questions when we bring them to him. He actually receives it as an act of worship because he sees we're saying, God, I'm trusting you with this. You are authoritative. So I'm bringing this to you as an act of worship. Amen? Amen. Now, the, the thing I want you to see here in closing, I, I want to go to the person of Jesus because th this is really, really important. Again, if we're, if we're talking about questioning God, we, we have to see how does God deal with people? How does Jesus, God in the flesh, deal with people when they come with questions? And what you see in the Gospels, you can turn to John chapter four real quick. We'll just look at one story. But you see all throughout the Gospels, multiple accounts of people approaching Jesus with questions. And the reality is Jesus never, Never turned the questioners away when they were genuinely seeking the truth. When it was the Pharisees who were just out to get Jesus, he, his approach with them was different. But when it was people who were gen, genuinely seeking and genuinely curious and genuinely wanting to know the truth and wrestling with aspects of who Jesus was in his ministry, Jesus always held space for them. And one example of that is, uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the story in John chapter four. Um, it's the woman of Samaria. It's the woman at the well. She comes and uh, Jesus is passing through Samaria and Jesus is trying to get a drink of water and he goes to this well. And I wanna just pick up the story real, real briefly in John chapter four, look down at verse seven. Check out what it says here. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now check this out. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you... A Jew ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Jesus is saying, hey, give me a drink of water. And the first thing she responds with is a question. She's got a lot of them. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. I don't know if you know, but there's a lot of tension there. It's kind of like Republicans and Democrats, maybe, you know, a lot of tension. What, you're, you're talking to me? And also, how is it that you, a rabbi, a man, are talking to a woman? Again, these are two things in this culture that were completely taboo, completely unacceptable. So she's like, wait, what? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you talking to me? And you're a man, a rabbi, and I'm a woman here by myself, why are you talking to me? She has a lot of questions. But look, again, notice, look what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus answered her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Another question, where do you get that living water? 
She's like, what? You want to offer me water, living water? Where do you get it? She didn't understand. She's like, you don't got a bucket? What are you talking about, this living water? Where do you get it? Another question. She's questioning Jesus. All these things he's saying. She's wrestling with it. But look again, notice. She continues in verse 12. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Another question. Jacob gave us this well, our father. Are you greater than him? Big questions. And Jesus answered her. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And notice the woman said, verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Notice Jesus's encounter with this woman. She has so many questions. Verse nine, she's like, how is it you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and, and you're, you're talking to me? How is it you're a man and I'm a woman and you're talking to me? And verse 11, she's like, you're talking about this living water. Where do you get it? Where do you get this living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And every question that she comes with, I want you to see that Jesus graciously begins to answer them and begins to break down all these barriers that this woman had. I can't understand how he's talking to me as a Jew. I can't understand as a man how he's talking to me. I can't understand what this living water is. She has all these questions, but as Jesus meets her in the questions, as Jesus starts breaking down these barriers that she had, the woman eventually is led to say, sir, give me this living water. The living water that you have to offer, I want it. I want what it is that you have to offer. And notice, the story is so amazing. She comes with a lot of questions. Jesus meets her where she's at. She's like, I want what you have. I'm trusting you. I want the living water you have. And then fast forward in the story a few verses. Look at verse 28 through 30. This is so cool. In verse 28 through 30, it says this. So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Another question, can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So she has this encounter with Jesus. She asks all these questions. Jesus meets her where she's at. She goes back to her town and she's like, you guys, can this be the Messiah? This guy, I had all these questions. This guy, I had this conversation. Can it be him? Can it be the one that we've been longing for? The one who the prophet spoke of? Could this be him? And it says, and then all the people, they went out of town and they were coming to him. They, were, they, they wanted to hear from Jesus as well. And then the end of the story, fast forward, because we don't have time to read through the whole thing. But notice how the story ends in John 4, starting in verse 39. Look at this. It says this, now many Samaritans, John 4, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. What I want you to see here is so beautiful. All these questions that this woman had, she brought to Jesus and it led her to faith in Jesus. 
But not only that, as she went out and she was, she, she says, could this be him? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Savior? All the town, they come out as well and they come to Jesus and notice that this woman's questions not only brought faith to her, not only brought her into intimacy and a personal relationship with Jesus, but it brought others into it as well. As they began to question, is this him? Is this really the Messiah? It produced faith not only in this woman, but of probably hundreds, if not thousands of people in this town as well. They went out and they were coming to Jesus and her questions were used to bring others to Jesus as well. It's just like when Jesus multiplies the bread and multiplies the fish to feed everybody who's hungry. The reality is the questions that you have about Jesus, it's not just you who have them. As you question Jesus, as you question God, as you wrestle and struggle with your faith in community with other people, as she says, is this really the Messiah? Let's come together. God will use the things that you're wrestling with to bring others into deeper faith with Jesus as well. Because a lot of times with our questions, we think, oh, it must just be me. And that's why we try and hide them. And that's why we try and isolate. And we don't feel safe that we can actually tell other people what we're wrestling with. And we don't feel like we can bring it to God. But in community, she comes back to her town. She's like, hey, this guy's told me all I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they're all like, we want to know that too. It's so amazing how God can multiply the things that we're wrestling with when we actually share it with others as well. And it's so cool. Sam said you guys are about to roll out small groups in the next couple of weeks. That is a space where you should be able to, in community with people, say, hey, here's the things I'm wrestling with. That, that is a beautiful space to wrestle and question and ask the things that you're struggling with in community. And guess what? Most of the time there's gonna be other people in your small group who are like, man, I've really been wrestling with that as well. I've really been having a hard time with that as well. That hasn't been my experience as well. So let, let's go to the scripture. What does God actually say? This is a beautiful space to do that. So just, just to encourage you guys, it's cool here and as a church that you guys are about to jump into that because I feel like that's a space where God can really do what he did here with this woman. A woman questioning, coming to Jesus. She's doing it in community and other people are led to deeper faith with Jesus because of it. Such a cool, cool thing. Now, the, the climax of this, again, and this is just one story. If you, if you read through the gospels, you're going to see over and over and over, there's all sorts of people who come to Jesus with all sorts of questions, and he just meets them where they're at. He just meets them there, and it's such a beautiful thing. But the most crazy thing ever is actually the reality that Jesus himself questioned the Father. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, Jesus, who is perfect and without sin, Jesus questioned God and it was not wrong and it was not sinful because Jesus was fully human, although he was fully God as a human, this is something that we all do. And I want you to see this. I want to close with this. In Matthew chapter 27, you guys are probably familiar with it. Jesus is, is there and he's hanging on the cross. J Jesus is about to die and be crucified and pay for the sins of the world. And as he's hanging on the cross, Matthew 27 verse 46, it says this. It says, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus asks the father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who is, is bearing the full weight and the full wrath of God for all the sins of humanity, in this moment asked this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, again, was fully human just as we are. And in Jesus' greatest moment of his life as he's taking the sins of the world in his greatest suffering, Jesus asked the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
The same question that many of the psalmists asks. The same question that a lot of us feel and wrestle with at various seasons of life. God, where are you? God, have you forsaken me? God, have you left me? God, why have you shown up late? Jesus himself wrestled with that as he was in the greatest moment of suffering in his life. And so the human experience, the, the, the journey of seeking God in his kingdom and his will, the reality is this, even we see in the person of Jesus, it is a part of our story, it is a part of our lives that we're gonna struggle with certain things that come up in our life. We're gonna struggle with certain things that God allows to happen. There's gonna be certain moments and certain experiences that lead us to question God and to question his goodness and to question his character and to feel like we've been forsaken by God. But when we offer those questions to God, as I've said over and over and over, God actually meets us in that space. It is an act of worship to offer our questions to God. And notice again, the father doesn't rebuke Jesus as he's on the cross. He doesn't go, how dare you question me? He, he receives the father, he, he rece the father receives the son and his sacrifice and his questions and the fullness of who Jesus was. The father receives the sacrifice and the work on the cross and the atonement is complete. And so the truth is all throughout the scriptures that what we see over and over, even in the life of Jesus, who is the climax, is that this, our questions matter to God. No matter what they are, no matter how difficult they are, no matter what we've been taught and trained in church and said, you can't actually say those things to God. You should just kind of pretend like it's all good and maybe you should suppress those. Our questions actually matter to God. And so I wanna encourage you here today to know that when your questions are motivated by truth and a true hunger and thirst for righteousness and you're truly desiring to know the person of Jesus deeper and there's things in your life and your experience that you're wrestling with, when you bring those things to Jesus and when you offer your questions and when you seek him, the reality is you will be found and Jesus will meet you in the questioning. He will meet you in the doubt because the reality is Jeremiah 29, 13, the prophet said this, speaking of Jesus, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Questioning is just a part of seeking. It's saying, God, where, where are you? God, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. God, I'm struggling with this. And the amazing thing is this, long before you were even born, and long before I was even born, long before we had any questions of God, long before we were seeking God, God was seeking us like he did in the garden. God was the one saying, hey, where are you? Before we knew Jesus, before we had a relationship with Jesus, before we were asking, where is God? God's always been asking that of us. We can only love him because he first loved us. We can only seek him because he first saw us. We can only pursue him because he first pursued us. He is the one who says, hey, where are you? And so today, my, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would realize this, wherever you're at in your faith journey, whether you feel like right now you have a solid foundation and there's nothing you're wrestling with or whether you're here and you're just exploring, maybe even for the first time, this might be your first time in church. You're like, I don't even know who's this Jesus guy. What's this Christianity thing? What's this whole Bible thing? Wherever you're at today to know that God is seeking you. God is pursuing you as he did from the very beginning, asking the question, where are you? And this is something that I want you to, to respond to today. This is something that I want you to just really take a moment even and pause and say, wow, if God is asking me that question, truly, no matter how far I've ran, no matter how much I've wrestled with my faith, no matter how much I've turned from God and to the world, if God is still there and asking, where are you? 
because he wants that intimacy and he wants that relationship. Man, who am I to reject that? Who am I to turn from that? If he wants me and you know your brokenness and I know my brokenness, it is mind blowing that Jesus loves us so perfectly. So I hope today that in a moment, we're just gonna take a moment to, to, to pause and um, I think Mike's gonna come back up and close in a song to just pause and allow the spirit of God, even right now, to, to ask that question to you. Hey, where are you? Jesus wants to draw you close. Jesus is pursuing your heart. You don't have to run with your questions from God. You can run with your questions to God. He wants to know, where are you? So could we take just a, a minute, and I think Mike's gonna come back up maybe during this minute. Take a minute to be still and allow the Holy Spirit to really ask you that question and really in your heart say, man, where am I in relation to God? Am, am I running from him or am I running to him? Am I questioning him apart from him or am I bringing my questions to him as an act of worship? Where are you? Let's allow the Spirit for just a minute to just ask us that question and to bring that to him as an act of worship. Jesus, we just thank you that we see from the very beginning when humanity had questions, when, when they were wrestling with in their day and age, did, did God really say, although they turned away from you for the answer, we thank you that you came and pursued them with the question, where, where are you? And God, thank you that you do that for us time and time again. Thank you that when we look away from you and turn from you, that God, you don't get farther from us. You don't walk farther from us. You just keep pursuing us. And you're like, hey, where are you? I love you. The, the work on the cross is finished. You just want that relationship and that intimacy. And so thank you for that today, God. I pray for each person here. I pray for people here, God, who have been walking farther away from you because of their questions that maybe they haven't felt safe to be able to wrestle with in church or they haven't been able to feel like they can tell anybody or process it. That God, Philippi, that this church, that this community would, would be a space where when people are wrestling with those questions, that this would be a space where they can find answers in and through the person of Jesus. God, I pray for just this church to continue to be a space where uh, it, it is a light, God, a beacon of light here in Grants Pass. And God, there are so many people here in this community just wrestling with their faith, struggling with understanding why the Bible teaches this or did God actually say this? Or, or why do we believe what we believe? God, there's so many people who are kind of just deconstructing their faith, but I pray that the Philippi would be a place where people can reconstruct it around the person of Jesus, that it would just lead people to deeper intimacy, a deeper understanding of the finished work of the gospel. 
Thank you for the Psalms, God, acts of worship, just saying, God, I feel so far from you. I feel like you're not there. And I'm questioning if you even are. I'm questioning my faith. Thank you that that can be received as an act of worship when we give it to you, God. I pray today that people would worship you in their questions. I pray they would trust you as the supreme authority with their questions as they come and offer them to you. God, thank you for, for just this church and what you're doing here. I just pray a blessing over the work that's gonna continue to happen and for each person here today as we go out, God, that we would realize we're, you're not looking for a, a perfect faith. You're looking for a childlike faith. Give us a childlike faith, God. Help us to ask the questions so that we could find answers in the person of Jesus. Bless your people, God. Bless this community, bless this church, bless the leadership, and just each person here. Continue to be with us even as we continue this week, God, to day by day. Walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.